0: Hey, welcome to the Axiom Podcast. This is episode 65. I'm your host, Devin Dash, here with Joey Brannan. Good morning, afternoon, evening. And today we're going to be talking about creating a culture of accountability. So, Joey, when when we think about accountability in business and creating a culture of accountability, like those words don't always sit well with some people. Um, And I would say even to, to some extent, I get uncomfortable when we start talking about accountability. Um, not because I don't like being held accountable, but I think just that it goes against our individualistic mentality. Like we have a strong culture of it's my way and that really is all that matters. Sure. Um, and you can't have that in business. So having a culture of accountability is really important for you know making sure that we're not wasting payroll dollars, that we're accomplishing our goals in a profitable and efficient way. Um, so it's a very important topic. And as we get into it today... Um, I think just, like, let's jump right in. When when we think about accountability, there's two two quotes that, like, that stand out. What gets measured gets done. Mm-hmm. And if you can measure it, you can manage it. Like, what are your thoughts on those? And why do those those two quotes really stand out in regards to accountability.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, there's, those two things get thrown around. They're kind of cliches at this point. And there's like a lot of debate about like how long those have been around and who first said them. like they're, they're ancient, right? Like they go back to, I actually said them ancient, yeah, <laughs> ancient Greek writers or something. And, um, but you know, accountability, I think you're right. Like it, it is, it is scary to some extent, but we often hear when you and I sit down with a new business owner or a, a business owner new to us, right? So they're, they're talking to us about their business and maybe we're going to work together. And, um, we hear them express a desire for a culture of accountability. Maybe not in those words, you know, but they're like, I want KPIs. And, you know, I, I want everybody to know whether they're making progress. I want us all going in the same direction. And I want to be able to measure performance and, and so there, the, there's a strong desire by the owners for accountability, but when you start to talk about accountability to the employees, uh, it's scary because those kinds of numbers are often just used to beat them over the head, you know, when they're mm-hmm. not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Oh, by the way, they didn't even know what they were supposed to be doing in the first place, right? So, um, but when we, th- when we talk about a culture of accountability, what we're really just talking about is a healthy culture. Like any organization, any, any group— is going to have to have accountability to some extent in order to be healthy and well-functioning. So if you think about just a family, right? So we've, we've both got – we're both married, wonderful wives, kids. But what would that environment look like with zero accountability, right? So your kids are accountable. But Probably a lot like what mine looks like <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that. so I, I think there's – there's this thing, too, going back to the business owners, like the business owners desire accountability, but how many times have you and I actually started down the road of putting some of the structures in place that we're going to talk about, and who's the one who backs off? Oh, yeah, it's the business the owner. The business owner. So, you know, going back to, like, a a, a family unit, yes, you know, we, we want our kids to be obedient and helpful and kind and respectful, um, but... There's also a tremendous amount of accountability between spouses. You know, like when you first got married and you're like, oh, my gosh, like I can't just do whatever I want to do anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I have this other person that there's now an usness to what we do. And if I'm going to be late getting home, I need to call. If if I'm talking about planning a weekend away, you know, with, with a golf trip or a fishing trip, I need to kind of – like pave the way and let them know what's around the corner it's not just about me anymore Mm -hmm. and um, business owners have to you kind of have to stop and really ask yourself do you really want accountability because you can't have a culture of accountability where everybody's accountable but you right right? And, and we've dealt with some business owners in the past who like they just didn't want that they wanted to wake up every morning and if they wanted to go in at ten A.M., they were going to go in at ten A.M. that day. If they wanted to leave at two PM that day, they'd leave at two PM. So we're like, but you can't do that because this is the day that we're supposed to have our team meeting at eight A.M. Like yeah. this is one of those foundational structures for accountability. They're like, well, I don't want to have to be there if I don't want to be there. And so like that I think that is one of the things uh in terms of the maturity of a business and the maturity of a business owner, like realizing if I want a culture of accountability, there probably going to be some things that I'm going to have to do that I don't necessarily want to do at the time that I have to do them. But, you know, I'm asking everybody else Mm -hmm. to kind of be accountable to a system or process or standard or measure or metric or schedule. So therefore I also have to be accountable to that.
0: Yeah. And I think that's so important because like you, you mentioned it, like, metrics alone won't lead to accountability right you know and and i think that's primarily because accountability ultimately is voluntary like i have to be willing to raise my hand and say yes you can hold me accountable exactly and then the metrics allow the the boundaries or the the standards by which i'm held accountable or the standards to which i'm held accountable but if i just say okay these are the standards like you said they become a metric by which it's like it's the it's the measuring stick we can never touch it's it's the mm-hmm. you know it's the shelf we can never reach because it's like well i didn't sign up for that and i don't want to right. sign up for that and you you just set, you just gave those to me so right. that's not the accountability that i want like i want you to set the bar lower so you have right. to have that that culture created firsthand and i you know this ties into something we've you've talked about in the past which is just the idea of a safe culture like so if we're talking about building a culture of accountability how do you get people to volunteer to be held accountable? Well, you have to create a space where it's okay for people to fail. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that means, like, not when they fail, they just get a free pass, but they own up and admit their failures. And they know that they can do that because ultimately everyone in the business or the business owner particularly is about growing his people up and making them better. So,
1: Yeah, I think when you're talking about accountability – it's not anything, there's no uh, silver bullet to accountability. It's an entire commitment to a process that I think starts with the business owner saying, okay, like I also am going to submit myself to all of these other things I'm asked. So, you know, for instance, vision, you know, like that's the other thing that we that is it play, plays into this at some point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, business owners who, um, who wanted a culture of accountability, they kind of have to commit to a vision. And it's got to be the same vision like tomorrow as it is today. You can't chase bright, shiny objects and expect to have a culture of accountability. Values. And if you're going to put values on the wall and you're going to get serious about them, well, the business owner has to be held accountable to those values just as much as everybody else does. And, you know, it's, this is definitely one of those things, another cliche, you know, like everything kind of trickles down from the top. you got to lead from the top. It starts at the top. I mean, accountability, if you want a real culture of accountability, um, you know, maybe you're a business owner listening to this, and you're like, oh, accountable culture sounds great, um, maybe challenge you to sit down with a a blank piece of paper and say, if I were to be more accountable Mm. the same way I want my people to be accountable, what are the things that I would need to keep doing, stop doing, start doing kind of thing? You know, it's like the three columns. And so the, the list of things that you might need to start doing, you know, those are going to be inconvenient. I'm, I might need to start keeping a regular schedule, a more regular schedule. Mm. You know, I might need to, um, I might need to, to start challenging people to call me out on things, you know, give them permission. I might need to, when, when I, when nobody yet is comfortable calling me out because I haven't done a great job of creating that safe environment, I need to make a habit of calling myself out and going and, and apologizing and asking for forgiveness when I know I violated these values so people can see like, hey, like it, it, nobody here is expected to be perfect. Even the business owner is falling short of these standards. I'm going to fall short on but it's okay. It's actually preferable that when I fall short, I raise my hand and be like, I, I missed it here. Yeah. And you know, that's a, again, it's a, it's a, it's not for everybody, <laughs> yeah. but it is for everybody. It's not for everybody in the sense that you're as a business owner, mate, you're in a position to basically do what you want to do or not do what you want to do. Like nobody's going to fire you as the business owner. Ultimately, if you do a really poor job, you go out of business and you know, that'll be kind of the ultimate, right. you're fired. But um, but if, if you look at any healthy functioning group, whether it's your family, whether it's a church, whether it's a small group, whether it's a nonprofit organization, whether it's a, a cycling club or a running club that you're a part of, like there is accountability. Like if you, if you just like, if you're, if you're part of a a cycling group and you just decide I'm going to show up when I want to show up and you're telling people, yeah, that, that ride sounds great on that day. (laughs) And then you don't show up pretty soon. The group's going to be like, you know, Joey, maybe this group isn't for you. Right. Right. So we, as business owners, we have to business owners out there listening, have to realize Um, you kind of live in a bubble, right? And and a lot of times it's a delusional bubble where you think that you don't have to be as accountable as everybody else. But if you want your organization to do well, you really do. You need to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's great. It's like, it's measures, you know, metrics and KPIs and measures don't equal accountability, but they're certainly a key component of a a strong culture of accountability. Yeah,
1: they're like at the tail end. Like when you've done all the hard work to put some other stuff in place, then you can put some measures in place. So what
0: other, you know, we, we, we look at metrics and, you know, I guess if business owners are grading themselves or leaders are grading themselves as they're listening to this, they're, they're checking boxes and going, okay, well I have measures, but I don't have that voluntary commitment to, Hey, everybody, you can hold me accountable. So, you know, you're grading yourself at home or in your car wherever you're listening to this, you're grading yourself. What other kind of characteristics of a culture of accountability or what other characteristics exist in a business where accountability is strong?
1: Well, you know, we, we talked earlier about, um, you know, lots of times people don't even understand, like the, the numbers can be used to hit them over the head. Cause Hey, you're not performing. They're like, I didn't even know that that was a, a standard for performance mm. until you just told me I wasn't meeting it. And so, Uh, really comes down to clear responsibilities and expectations. And when you and I use those words, responsibilities, expectations, we have a pretty clear idea in our mind of exactly what we're talking about and what they look like on the page. And responsibilities part uh, is essentially like what are the two or three or four things that you are responsible for in your job like there's there's a laundry list of things that you do every day every week every month whatever there's a laundry list of things that you can do like you might be able to step into somebody else's shoes because you're cross-trained or fill in for this group or fill in for that group but if we were to look at, at you at your position in the in the company like what are the two or three or maybe four things that like these are the these are the big ones. Like these are the biggest things we look to you for. And yeah, there's a lot of other ancillary stuff, but what are the biggest ones? And then, so we would call those your responsibilities yeah. and then expectations bleeds out of that. So each one of those responsibilities is going to have maybe, I don't know, two, three, four, five expectations. And the expectation is like, this is literally what I expect this responsibility to look like. Right. Mm-hmm. So if your responsibility, like if you just if we take a, a position that is often undervalued and underappreciated, then it's given great lip service. Everybody says, oh, we believe this is important. But yeah. when we look at the pay for the position and we look at, at the turnover in the position, the front desk position, you know, that receptionist position, director of first impressions, you know, what are all the yeah. fancy names, like that <laughs> forward facing person, you would say one of their core responsibilities is to greet people as they come into the business, and that could be on the phone or it could be in person. Right, yeah. so that's the expectation. The expectation is that when people come here, you are the person that they meet, and you set the tone. Right, so you're responsible for that. What is the expect? What are the, the list of expectations for that? Well, one of the expectations probably if if the door opens at eight. One of those expectations is you walk in the door at 745 mm-hmm. to give yourself a chance to get set up so you are you know, at your post at 8 o'clock ready when that stuff comes yep. in. And so that's a very clear expectation. We know exactly what that looks like. One of the other expectations might be when um, w- when we have a meeting, when we have a group coming in here. We want you to touch base with each one of those people 24 hours before and let them know exactly when, where the location is and make sure that they know how to get here. You and I have dealt with that, the yeah. changing offices. It's huge, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so you can get very clear on the expectations. You can have broad responsibilities. and. It's, it does get, we, we do this, we've done this internally, like you and I have our responsibilities and expectations as consultants at Axiom. And that list, the expectations list is quite long, you know, there's probably four or five responsibilities. And then there's, you know, each one of those gets broken out into some expectations. So the whole thing is maybe a page, you know, and, um, and it's okay for that to be long, but going back to, there's lots of stuff that you and I can do and that you and that, that I actually do do, but we don't go to the trouble to put all of that stuff on the page because it's really not that important.
0: Yeah, yeah. Some of it's common knowledge. I think when you, when you I don't know, I, I like to break these out into uh, task-oriented expectations and responsibilities and expectations. But there's things that aren't included in there that are just general expectations because of our culture, because of our values, mm-hmm. right? So a, as you were describing this, I was thinking about a general responsibility and expectation of back when I was, you know, my first job, Publix, right? They have a rule, and it's this is one of the one of the best things I, I loved about working in a larger corporation like that was they have people who make, you know, way more money, six figures sitting in the corporate office, and their job is to find catchy ways to get people to do what they want, right? So one of the expectations, the responsibilities of every associate was to keep the, the store looking nice and presentable so that it's a, it's, it's hospitable. You know, right. it's a place where customers want it's to a come place in. place
1: where shopping is a pleasure. Exactly,
0: right? So <laughs> what's the expectation right. for every employee? It's don't pass it up, pick it up, right? And that was the thing that was drilled into your head. So there's... There's more job-specific, role-specific responsibilities and expectations. But then there's things that, like like I said, like you said, you or I do or anybody in an organization is expected to do every day. And those become kind of cultural norms that are bred out of the values as opposed to the role.
1: Yeah, that's a good distinction. Those values are those those apply to every position they may look a little bit different in different positions like what but the values are like how do you carry out your responsibilities and expectations like yeah. what do you as a person look like what do you as a representative of this organization look like act like talk like you treat people like yeah. um and that's and those are universal so the other thing once you've figured out the responsibilities and expectations and this is a chore like it's an exercise like oh, yeah. to think through like what are the two or three things that I'm I want to hold this person responsible for and what should that look like in real life what are the expectations once you've covered that ground you really have to get into uh making that stick and there's really no way to do it other than spend time with the individual like there's this we, I mean job descriptions like so let's 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 rant on job descriptions for a second <laughs> Because I mean they're necessary. I I, I don't know I said that I see the value in job descriptions. We here at Axiom don't have job descriptions. We have responsibilities, and expectations. Right. Um, I think job descriptions kind of run the risk of missing the really big rocks and going into the minutiae. And also, um, I, I think a lot of times the job description tries to get at what some of those value things are without calling them out as values and then you wind up with well the job description for the receptionist says she has to be happy and cheerful but the people working in the back office like we're having a real problem with them should we change their job description to say mm-hmm. they should be happy and cheerful no you should, if happy is one of your values like you should put that on the wall and be like we are happy like so i i'm i maybe oversimplifying it but well
0: i i you know it's i i'm I'm biting my tongue because there's maybe we should do a separate podcast where it's just like our rant on job descriptions. But you know, I
1: I, it's a lot of content, right?
0: I relate to that, and I relate to you because when you think about job descriptions in a broad context, I think they're not they're not for the people in the seat, right? That's a good point. What's for the people in the seat are responsibilities and expectations. A job description is for those applying for the job, and you know, call me cynical, but if I have to tell somebody what the job is going to be like, like it's much better for me to say, hey, I'm looking for you know, a customer service representative or a receptionist or a manager of first impressions or whatever, like, and then describe the responsibilities that are going to go along with that job. And you're going to get, I, I, I would hypothesize, that you're going to get candidates who know exactly what you want. sure, But a job description, you're going to get people who go, Oh, that sounds fun. Click.
1: Yeah, I can oh, do that. Right. I can tick all those boxes.
0: Right. And and it's you're missing you're you're missing a chasm of people going, oh yeah, I, I can do those things. I would like to do it. That. that sounds like a fun job. And then you're getting them in the door, and they're you're going, they're just not qualified.
1: Like, yeah.
0: So I anyway, I digress a little bit. That's a
1: good point, and it probably is a good topic, maybe for something along the, the lines of hiring. You know, an onboarding best practices because I think you're, you hit on something important, which is there's a big difference between looking at a job description as a candidate and saying, I can do those things versus having the responsibilities and expectations shared with you and saying, I'm willing to be held accountable. I'm willing to be held responsible for that job. I like those responsibilities. That seems like that is right up my alley. Right? It's total, two totally different worlds. But when, so, uh, man, we really got off track, but (laughs) the frequent conversations, um, I think, are a big part of one of these kind of steps toward a culture of accountability. So you've got the responsibilities and expectations. How often are you actually having conversations with the individual about this? And we talk about one-on-ones, it's a whole, again, a whole other podcast we could do on -on one-on-ones, but one-on-ones are essentially, once a month, you sit down with your direct reports and you say, like, how are you doing? How's your life? How's your life at work? How's your life at home? To whatever extent you're willing to share with me. And what can I be doing over the next 30 days to help you become more effective at what? At those responsibilities and expectations. So the, the responsibilities and expectations, if they're actually down on a page, they give both of you something to look at. And, you know, you might come to me with your responsibilities and expectations like this particular responsibility, I, f- I kind of feel like I'm getting it, but the expectation I don't know. It, it seems a little off. Or or um, I feel like I'm doing really well on this, but I'm looking for some pushback. Or you come to me and you, you say, hey, um, where do you feel like on all these responsibilities? Where do you feel like I'm best and where do I need to work at or what expectations do I need to? And it it allows you to have... A conversation that is is for like you said before for that person like mm-hmm. the job description is not for the person who's it's for a candidate. These conversations are for the person, and if you're not having those, then when you do circle back with any kind of number whatsoever, it's gonna feel like a billy club and just getting knocked over the head by it.
0: Yeah, it's uh, Ron Swanson did it. You know, fear is a great motivator. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. You know, it's it's basically that that idea of uh, if you If you don't bring them that those one on one conversations and you're not bringing them in that relationship and then you just bring a number in front of them they're either hitting it or they're not right and if they're not they're gonna their response is yeah. going to be f- flight or your fight or flight
1: yeah. and we've been in meetings where there hasn't been it's either at the very beginning of an engagement or where the one on ones aren't happening. And the numbers do get pulled out, you know, or, or some it may, it may not be a number even. It might be a, is it being done or is it not being done? Like it's a very binary thing mm-hmm. and you see the person in the moment and your heart goes out to them because th- like, they're just deer in the headlights. Like, oh crap, I'm not doing that. Or, oh crap, I'm not even close to that number. And, you know, it's not a good, it's not a good spot. it's not, it's not accomplishing anything. Right. It's basically it's demoralizing a person and beating them up. There's no coaching. There's no there's no silver lining in that conversation. I think a lot of business owners, um, they see that, too, and they're they're empathetic. And it's like, well, I haven't done the hard work to line to to chart out the responsibilities and expectations. I haven't been disciplined in coming back to them on a 30 day basis and seeing how I can help them with that. And so I'm really, you know, not at liberty to bring numbers out or change compensation or any of that other stuff. But I want a culture of accountability, (laughs) you know. And and we chalk it up a lot of times to, well, you know, a lot of business owners are just non-confrontational. But when you look at situations where the business owners have done the work to set up responsibilities and expectations, they have... Engaged in the discipline to have one-on-one meetings, and they've been coaching those people up. When the number comes out, like the person doesn't have deer in the headlights, they they don't uh, try to self-justify or explain it away. What do they do? They they're like, I'm I'm having an issue. And I'm not really quite sure how to do it. If the rest of the people around the table can help me figure this out, this would be great. And there's been a few cases where we've, we've seen that. Those are very healthy cultures of accountability where the owner's kind of leading the way and is just as accountable to, to values, numbers, responsibilities, expectations as everybody else. Mm-hmm. I guess on this journey to what does accountable culture look like, yep. you've got to do the clear responsibilities and expectations. You have to be having the, the one-on-one conversations to coach and then finally we get to numbers, like finally, like this is what everybody wants, but it really comes last. But it's not just numbers. They have to be numbers that bring some kind of clarity to the situation, you know. So like, pick, and this is often a very difficult chore. Like yeah. what are the numbers that we are going to track? And and it's not easy. It becomes a lot easier, though, after you've done that work responsibilities and expectations and after you've had enough one-on-one engagements with the person to understand like, what are their particular struggles? So if you're working with a salesperson, well, oftentimes follow-up is the, is the weakest link, right? So, but you have to set the expectation that in terms of achieving a certain closing, like your responsibility is to close deals. And what that looks like is putting the proposals together, meeting with the customers. Oh, and by the way, follow-up. Yeah. Follow-up is a very clear, explicit expectation that we have here. And so when you're meeting with somebody, when you're doing those one-to-ones, and you're like, so how, how are you doing? And they're like, wow, well, look at this expectation of follow-up. And to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty sucky at it. I haven't really been following up with all my my contracts that I've put out there. Yeah. And you okay, well, let's talk. What does your follow-up process look like? Well, I really don't know how to get started. Well, can we automate some of it to help you out? Can we set aside part of your day, part of the, the week, a day of the week or an afternoon a week where you just go home early and make phone calls from your couch if it's easier for you to do there or come into the office if home's really noisy we'll give you a cubicle in the corner and and you can make your follow-up calls from there um and so then you go okay like well what are the numbers that bring clarity well maybe it's how many phone how many follow-up phone calls have you made this week versus maybe how many proposals you've issued in the last week you know and that should be like a 1 to 1 ratio. If you if you issued 15 proposals, you should be doing 15 follow-up calls. Hmm. You know, if you follow up four times and you issue 15 proposals a week, you probably should be following up 60 times. You know, 60 follow-up calls, you know, 15 a week for the last 4 weeks, whatever. So, you know, I think that's numbers are the thing everybody's interested in. My point is they really should come last. And it actually gets easier if you're doing the previous two things on responsibilities and expectations and one-on-ones.
0: Yeah. So I want to go back a little bit to you know, things that you hinted at there, which are the responsibilities and expectations conversation is really – it's it's strengthened by our ability to have that rapport with our employees, which I think goes back to the one-on-ones you alluded to earlier, where we're having conversations with our employees – about what do they need and how can I best equip, like to the extent that they'll let us into their personal life. I think that's so key later as we start having those key, you know, conversations about responsibilities and expectations so that they're bringing to you the, man, you know, yeah, I'm really struggling with my follow-up mm-hmm. and they're not trying to hide behind where they are succeeding. They're actually looking critically at themselves and what maybe where they feel like they're falling short. And those two go hand in hand. I think again, going back to that idea of safety we talked about in the beginning, like the one-on-ones are essential to creating that safety in the in that you know employee and, uh, manager relationship or or owner key leader relationship. So I want to I want to sit on one-on-ones just for a little bit longer and like elaborate on what those conversations might look like. I know we've talked about sure. in the past, but they're so important.
1: They are, and and, I, and here's the misnomer. Uh, when we say you should have one-on-ones with your direct reports, to a person, every leader we talk to, whether it's the CEO, the general manager, the CFO, the sales manager, they're like, I do that. And they're like, well, what does that look like? Well, I mean, we talk all the time. I'm, I'm constantly having one-on-ones with my people, <laughs> Right. And those one-on-ones, if we were a fly on the wall, those one-on-ones are typically the individual has a very specific tactical problem. Like there's there's some I don't know how to put this form in or this there's this customer fire that I need some advice to figure out or um, here's this project that you ask me for an update on, and and they're really those conversations are typically for the manager, right? So it's rare that the the person would come to them. And say, hey, this other person in the organization asked me to do this. Can you help me do it? And they're like, if they asked you to do it, you go ask them, right? If the sales manager asks you to do it, go ask the sales manager. Why are you coming to me? I'm the general manager. So I just say that to drive home the point. A lot of those conversations – you know, if you're the general manager and you're like, I have one-on-ones with my people all the time. Yeah, exactly. You have one-on-ones with them because you need things from them and they're meeting with you to get those things, right? Mm-hmm. Even if they come to you and it's like, I need your help for this. The reason they need your help is because you've asked them to do something. So they're saying, I, I can't get you the thing that you need until you help me. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, that's not a one-on-one, right? For, for a lot of reasons. But the primary one is like, it's not for that person. It's right. for you. Yeah. The other thing is that They'll say, well, you know, no, I have, we have, I I go, I take somebody to lunch pretty much every week. You know, so you're saying every 30 days, maybe it's every 45 days, but I have these conversations, right? And you're like, okay, well, what does that lunchtime invitation look like? Well, you know, I'm just like walking through the hallway and I'll pop my, hey, you free for lunch? Like, yeah, I got time for lunch, right? Why are they saying yes? Now, I'm not saying that some bosses aren't fun to hang out with and like, you know I offered to take you to lunch today and you you know you're like yeah that sounds great i i've i hope that part of that is like you just like hanging out with me like we're going to go have a good lunch together but there are times <laughs> when you stick your head in the door as the boss and you're like hey you want to go have lunch they're like internally they're like not really like i got a ton of crap to do right. but you're asking me and you're the boss so i'm going to go right and you, they sit down at lunch and the boss is like so how you doing devin how's how's family how's and you're like, uh it's it's good. Like it's like everything's good. Well, you know, how are you doing in your job? You know, is there anything I can do to help you? And you're like, uh. you've had zero time to thoughtfully prepare. Mm-hmm. There's definitely not any structure. And I, I'm not saying the one-on-ones have to be structured, but having an underpinning understanding of here are my respons- Here's what my boss expects of me. Mm-hmm. When your boss says, like, is there anything I could do for your job, if you've got that, you start thinking through, what are my responsibilities and expectations? How am I doing? What do I need them to do for me so that I can be better at these things? So there's lots of reasons that those one-on-ones that we are told, oh, I have those all the time. They really don't hit the bar of what we're talking about. Um, so what we're talking about is a recurring every 30 days. It's on the calendar. You and I both know when it's happening. We both are prepared. The boss is primarily preparing by just clearing the decks, giving uninterrupted time, and letting the agenda be brought to them. Hmm. The thing that, that I also want to talk about with how the one-on-ones play into accountability is you said it earlier at the at the very beginning of the podcast is – accountability is voluntary right if i don't want to be held accountable by you then i can make excuses i could just flat out lie you know i could even if you're bringing numbers to me i can say like, well those numbers aren't really accurate you don't really understand you know how how that got there i don't know how it got there i don't think that's right right i'm like oh my gosh now we got to go back and figure out how do we get the right number is the number right and i got to get the cfo involved or the sales manager involved to figure out why these numbers aren't lining up or why they say they're not lining up Mm -hmm. so my point is there's all kinds of ways if you don't want to be held accountable you can sidestep the conversation so it's voluntary well when you're having the one-on-ones as the leader with this individual and you're saying hey Devin." What can I do for you over the next 30 days to make your job better, more fulfilling, more productive, more like what is I'm not my job is to provide the resources you need to be effective. So what's my job over the next 30 days? Give me some specific to do items for you. Well, you're telling me if you do these things for me, I'm going to be able to get better at what I do. Like that is. And and I'm asking, I'm voluntarily asking you, yeah. so I'm agreeing to be held accountable. Or if you say, you know, if you're like, well, I really, what I really need is a Maserati to get to appointments faster. I'm like, well, I'm not going to be able to do that, right? right? But if you, you know, or you're like, I need, you know, we've been doing some video production. I really need this, you know, brand new $4,000 workstation. I'm Like, well, I don't, let's rethink that. Maybe, Maybe video production isn't something we should be focused on if we're going to have to spend that kind of money right now. Right? Right. So uh, it's incumbent on me not to just say yes to everything that you're asking for if I can't provide it. But if I say yes, I'm saying, okay, I can provide that, and I agree to provide that. Hmm. And you're saying, if you provide that, then I'm willing to be held more accountable to this responsibility or this expectation. And that's where if you're doing the one-on-ones – the business owner will often find that performance improves drastically because the, in, why? because the individual is signing up to be held accountable. And that's what they wanted in the first place, right? They wanted a culture of accountability, and they're thinking that comes through having some dashboard that, got, that has everybody's unequivocal numbers on it. And just by measuring things, they're going to improve or measuring and paying attention to them, they're going to improve. And they're not. We see it all the time. Yeah. But if you're willing to engage in a relationship – where both of you are voluntarily raising your hand and saying, I want you to hold me accountable and you want me to hold you accountable. Perfect. This is a well-functioning relationship. And you do that enough times across the organization. Everybody's doing it. Now you have a culture where that is a hallmark. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well said. I think everything there kind of boils back down to the idea and and not just like make everything that we just talked about simplistic, but it does really boil down to as a leader, am I being, am I willing to be held accountable Mm -hmm. and then modeling that for my people, you know, and maybe we say one-on-ones, if you have a different idea about how you're going to model accountability before your people, that's great. I think that's the heart of it is me going to, to, to my direct reports and the people that I'm called to lead and say, Hey, I want to support you. I need to support you. How can I do that? I'm willing to commit to those things or, Hey, I'm sorry I failed in these areas. And just opening up that, that level of accountability by modeling it for them. And then eventually, you know, that's, that's how every culture starts Mm -hmm. from the ground up. You just, you start executing new norms and new standards and new behaviors. And, and over time you really start to have strong buy-in and a culture of accountability.
1: And you, you made an important thing that I think is important to wrap up on. And you said over time. Hmm. It, this requires a lot more time that it 's like a construction project. right It takes like twice as long and costs three times as much money as anybody ever told you it would at the beginning and I think if you set if you set your your sights on a culture of accountability, just know like i 'm going to have to put in the time in my schedule to spend with these individuals i 'm going to have to put in the time in my schedule to close my door and get clear about what the responsibilities and expectations are. And I'm just going to have to keep, keep at it, and it'll change over time. But there is no silver bullet for this. Hmm. Well said.
0: Well, thanks, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, I, we enjoy our time giving this information to you. Uh, and thanks for, for listening. And we actually, I'm going to kind of turn to the camera, because I cannot tell you <laughs> how difficult it is for me to not be able to drink my coffee during this time. You
1: can drink it. Yeah,
0: but I feel like people don't want to watch me drink and
1: I've been drinking my coffee the whole time.
0: I haven't even noticed. See. So I'm I need to be more observant. Yeah. Right. Anyway, thanks for listening. Right. Have a great day. Great See night.